And this morning we come to the content of Thanksgiving. The content of Thanksgiving. Now we had a lesson before in which we talked about giving thanks for all things. Thanksgiving and everything. Today we're going to be talking about Thanksgiving at all. Because some people don't have a habit of giving thanks. And if we're not giving thanks for all the good things, probably not going to be giving thanks for the things that uh, might not seem so good at the front end, but that God is working together for good in the course of time. A long time ago, when I was a young man, I was working as a youth director in a large church. And I had two buddies who were helping me out in that business, and uh, we were pretty excited about it, but we decided that if we were going to be in youth work, we needed to have a truck. Everybody needs to have a truck, whether you're in youth work or not. But we thought we need, really need one, so we started looking around for a truck in our price range, and we found one, 300 bucks at the local service station there in the little suburb outside of town where we live. And so we paid our money, and we took home a 1955 Chevrolet truck. We were like a rock in that truck. People could tell we were the heartbeat of America. And so we worked on that truck. You might be thinking that if you bought a truck for 300 bucks, it probably didn't run too well, and you would be right. And we had to work on it continually. My brother came when he was in town worked on it. My dad worked on it. We all worked on it. So finally, my two buddies got discouraged. And they said, we're always getting in trouble with this truck. It goes somewhere and it won't crank or whatever. And we would be willing to buy out our shares in the truck. You don't have to pay us. We'll pay you if you just let us out of this deal. So I said, man, that sounds like a good deal to me. And they each paid me $100. And I had the truck all to myself. And I thought I was pretty cool in that truck. And I'd be just riding around, you know, kind of like um, I had in mind one of these vintage automobiles that you see, Spotless Perfection, run around uh, Fredericksburg. And that's what I was thinking. And so uh, a young married man in our church uh, came to me one day at church, and he said, uh, you know, I'd really like to do something to, to encourage your family because your wife has really helped my wife. And she had been meeting with her for some counsel or something. And he said, do you need any automotive work done because my father-in-law owns a paint and body shop? And I said, oh, yes, we really do. You can paint my truck, the Black Beauty. And so I took the truck down there, and it took a while for him to get to it. But he found some uh, paint from, left over from a job on a Mercedes. This would have been uh, Bahama Blue Metallic. And so Black Beauty became Old Blue. And then I really liked my truck. And I thought I was pretty cool, and I began to envision other things that I could do with my truck to make it. A little bit better. But that's when the problems come. Because we're going to find out today the content of Thanksgiving is content. The content of Thanksgiving is content. And when I begin to envision those things that I didn't have, then I became a little bit less grateful for the things that I did have, even a truck. And a truck that had a new engine that my dad had 
uh, done down at his machine shop in Mississippi and that would uh, haul things, but I didn't want to haul things like furniture and moving stuff. It might scratch my truck. Now, what good would a truck be if you couldn't haul things? But you could see my ingratitude was becoming frustration. I want to get a set of new chrome wheels for my truck. But my wife might need some grocery money instead of chrome wheels. My children might need some shoes instead of chrome wheels. Now, that's kind of the way this thing goes. We have to be very careful because contentment is a very important thing in Scripture. Without contentment, you're not going to have any gratitude. And without gratitude, it's going to be difficult to give thanks to God. Now, there's an important verse, short verse here, and it says, 1 Timothy 6, 6, Godliness is actually a means of great gain. Would everybody agree with that? Godliness, living a godly life, a means of great gain. While you have your guilt removed, you have brothers and sisters in Christ, you have uh, just the grace of God upon your life and all His benefits and blessings, and we can go on and on and on. We looked at those things before. Oh, here's a qualification here. Godliness is actually a means of great game when accompanied by contentment. When accompanied by contentment. So I'm going to ask you the question today. Which tent are you living in? Content or discontent? Because most everybody spends most of the time in one of those two places. We're either content with life. That doesn't mean we don't have aspirations for the future and we want to do better and we want to have a bigger business and those kind of things so we can support the Lord's kingdom. But that means with what I have today, am I satisfied enough to really give thanks? Now here's the way that thing works. Here would be, imagine me with me for a minute, here would be, right over here, all the cars that you ever owned in your life. How many cars have you owned in your life? Some of you older people. Ten? Fifteen? How'd the Batmobile get in there? I don't know. Uh, those are all the cars that you have ever owned in your entire life, including the ones you have now. But if something gets into your heart, like, ah... Uh, a nice Corvette. I would love to have a Corvette. And my children are grown now. And there's no reason why I shouldn't go down and sign the line and start paying those monthly payments and drive a Corvette. That would be nice. Now, you notice this Corvette is bigger in size than all of these cars. Because in my heart, this Corvette is getting bigger and bigger. And I'm going to put him over here. Because I don't have him. He's just... In my heart, he's down on the showroom floor. I may go down there and look at him a little bit. And that just warms my heart to think of myself driving in that Corvette. Now you might say, I could be in the parade right here in Fredericksburg in my Corvette, waving at the people. You might say, that's the silliest thing I ever heard of. That you would be longing for a vehicle like that. Well, nothing like that ever crosses my mind. Well, you just fill in the blank for whatever it may be. For instance, if you're out on the farm, living on the farm, it may be a John Deere. Oh, that blue color, that wouldn't be a John Deere, would it? That would have to be a New Holland or 
Massey Ferguson or something else. But it might be that if you're the dad, that new tractor that you would really like to have, that you need. Actually, you need this tractor. And so that is uh, <clears throat> what's on your mind. Forget that Corvette. Somebody else might want that. But if you're the daughter of the farmer, you're not thinking about a new tractor, a new Corvette. You don't need a Corvette out on the farm. What you need is, oh yes, a Palomino. And if you can get that Palomino, that perfect Palomino, your dreams would be fulfilled. You would be content for a little while. Okay, there's the Palomino. That Palomino's kind of tired here. We better stand him up. But if you were the teenage son living out in the country, you're not interested in a Corvette because macho guys don't drive Corvettes. You would like to have Bigfoot. And man, you could drive right through the countryside and go anywhere. All terrain, Bigfoot there. So it just depends. You fill in the blank for whatever it is that would find a place in your heart that would keep you from seeing all the things that God has done. Hey, do you remember praying for this car back in uh, 1972 or whenever it may have been? And then, oh yeah, this car, I remember that car. Well, but am I content today that God has answered all of those prayers through all of those years? And guess what? I'm still driving today from point A to point B. That's about all a car will do for you. You can go in style or you can go however you want to go, but you still get there. So here are the ones that God has given. Here's the one that I really want, but now my gratitude has been affected. And it could be anything. It's not just automobiles. But if that really gets a place in my heart, we call it idols of the heart, and it could be something else. It could be something I want to happen. It could be a good desire. But if I don't get it, I may tend to be frustrated a little bit. Because it's something I really need, but I don't see the Lord moving on this thing. If I get frustrated, I'm getting kind of discontent, no, no doubt about it. And instead of the abundant Christian living, I've got the despondent Christian longing because I'm always just wanting this thing I'm thinking about, but nothing seems to be happening. Well, God says, look around you and see what all He has done today. See what all you have today. The story is told of a man who was a great businessman, and he owned a fleet of ships. And they all merchandised across the ocean. This was a wealthy guy. And he went down to the docks one day and he saw a fisherman in the afternoon just sitting on the dock enjoying the afternoon breeze. And there was his little boat. And he said, hey, why aren't you out fishing? And the guy said, I caught enough fish for today. And he said, yeah, but why don't you get out there and catch more fish and then you could get a better boat and then you could catch more fish and you could get a lot of boats and you'd be rich. And the guy said, what would I do then? He said, then you could sit back and enjoy yourself. The guy said, what do you think I'm doing right now? <laughs> so he had everything that he needed for contentment for that moment, and that's what we're talking about. Now, we're not saying don't get a better boat or a better car or tractor or whatever it is. We're saying for today. For today, are we willing to trust God for what He has done for us? And then 
give him time to provide whatever else there may be. Now, I may have to be out looking for things and uh, helping him with that. Uh, certainly, we're working out our salvation with fear and trembling. So I start off here with uh, maybe a good desire. It may be that I want to get a better job. It may be that I want to have a larger house, got a house full of children, want to get a better job. But now that, that good desire in my heart can become a demand. Especially when my emotions get hold of it. A desire can easily become a demand because my emotions are saying, yeah, we, we really do need that. Uh, we've got to have that. And then my will begins to perceive. See, the emotions can really get the will cranked up and the emotions begin to perceive that desire as a need. Now, God has said He would supply all of our need. But sometimes, I'm thinking that this equals this. And then my will is pushing me on there. And the will begins to view that as, that need as an expectation. And ooh, unfulfilled expectations can really cause disappointment. Now, if I am disappointed in life, I'm probably not going to be just offering up a great batch of thanksgiving every morning. That's not to say we can't have disappointment, but we've got to start back up here with my desire. And I've got to learn how to control that desire, and I've got to learn how to offer it up to the Lord in prayer, Wait upon the Lord, be of good courage, all of those kind of things, and watch Him working at the same time. What is that He says in Philippians 4? He says, In everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to the Lord. I know we talk about these things all the time, but these things are very, very important. Now, you might think, well, it's foolish to be thinking about a car like that, but everyone is a fool for something. Everyone is a fool for something. The Apostle Paul says, we, that's Paul, Apollos, Barnabas, we are fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are distinguished, but we are dishonored. Uh, a little sarcasm here on the part of the Apostle. Can you imagine the carnal Corinthians comparing themselves to the Apostle Paul? Well, he's kind of poking at them a little bit here. But when I say a fool, I'm not talking about something silly or foolish. You might have those qualities as well. But I'm talking about somebody who really enjoys something so much that they're just absolutely committed to it. They've just got allegiance to it. It consumes their thinking and their planning and everything. That's what I'm talking about. So you might be a fool for vintage automobiles. You might be a fool for Hollywood movies. Uh, you might be a fool for anything that comes along. But Paul is talking about being a fool for Christ. He has commanded my allegiance. I am committed to Him for whatever else He wants to do with all of these things. Now God promised it will work out for good, but I've got to have my heart in position to believe Him for that. 
So let's review what we've said so far. Oh, by the way, am I saying that you can't enjoy a good movie if you can find a good one coming out of Hollywood? I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying don't let Hollywood movies find a place in your heart. It might become an idol of the heart along with anything else in life that the devil can slip in there. And see, in America, we have a lot of options for becoming an idol in the heart, uh, particularly with young people. We're hit by advertising. Now, let's review what we've said so far. Thanksgiving flows out of a heart of contentment. If I don't have contentment, probably not going to be much Thanksgiving. Desires can become a treasure of my heart and destroy contentment, making me ungrateful because where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be also. Now, that doesn't mean that we don't have hobbies and things we like and we love to see a football game or whatever. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about when you become consumed with that stuff and you get angry when somebody comes in and changes your channel or whatever happens, the, the network breaks down or something. Let's take some scripture here that I think we've got. Yes, Ephesians 5, 3 through 5. Watch this now. But among you there should not even be a hint of immorality or any kind of impurity or of greed. Read that covetousness. Because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking. Uh-oh. Man, I've had, a, I've had a problem with that coarse joking. I got into that in college. Which are out of place. But rather, instead of all that stuff, what? Thanksgiving. Do we have that? Yeah, here it is right here. But rather, thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure. No immoral, impure, or greedy, that's a covetous person, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Did you hear that? This is talking about the person who has that idol of the heart. And they're consumed with whatever it is. They don't have any place in the, in, of any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Now, he's talking about as a trend of your life. That's what you're giving your life to. Christ is over here. I'm giving my life to my new Corvette or whatever there is in the world out there. A greedy person is an idolater. Is that true? Well, it's in the Bible. It must be true. A greedy person is an idolater. His desires have taken over. That's what he thinks about. In essence, that's what he worships in that sense. Well, uh, number three of our review. I have to pay close attention to my heart so that I keep my focus on the giver instead of the gifts. we got plenty of gifts. You can go home this afternoon and you can see things that God has given because, see, that's ultimately the source of your gifts. He's given you a good mind and you're able to earn money and buy this or buy that. Well, that comes from God. If it's going to turn out to be a blessing, it's going to have to be something that draws you closer to Christ. See, riches can be a stumbling block, we're told in the Scripture. That's where that verse came from in 1 Timothy. He's warning about riches. But they can be a blessing if there's something that draws us and others closer to Christ. God has His way of getting our attention off the gifts, doesn't He? One day, a big propane truck, big as this room, it seemed, the ceiling, came along and crashed into... Bahama Blue, Old Blue. And that was the end of Old Blue. And I couldn't believe it. I was crying the blues. One of my sons happened to be driving it. He wasn't hurt, so I felt pretty good about that. 
but Old Blue was pancaked on that deal. But then God gave us another truck that another guy had worn out. And his son said, uh, done a little rearranging on the truck there. Kind of reminds you of the Dukes of Hazard. This truck was called No Doors for obvious reasons. <laughs> they took the doors off. You could get in and out very quickly. But if it rained, you were in some trouble. You'd try to be home when it rained so you could get out of the truck and in the house. No Doors did not have a place in my heart. It was just out there. And this, that's what God wanted to teach me on that. Well, why is Thanksgiving such a vital part of the abundant Christian living, the abundant Christian life? I'm not talking about the holiday. I'm talking about an attitude of the heart. Thanksgiving is absolutely essential because ingratitude is the beginning of a downward spiral in a person's life. Check it out right here in Romans. Now, we read this passage a lot, but usually with uh, other intentions in mind. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness, because that which was known of God is manifest in them, for God has showed it unto them. For the invisible things of Him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even His eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. People don't believe in God. They are without excuse because that when they knew God, they glorified Him not as God, neither were thankful. I'm not sure I ever really noticed that in that passage again, but there it is. Neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became foolish. Now you know the spiral that that gets us into in Romans 1. We get on down into disbelief of God and worshiping nature, and then we go to immorality, and then we go to perversion. Uh, it's rock bottom down at the bottom. God is not happy. But it starts off up at the top. They just weren't thankful. Oh, I don't mean they weren't thankful for all the goodies they had that afternoon. They weren't thankful to God, the Creator, and God, the Redeemer, and everything that He did for us. John Calvin in his Institutes of the Christian Religion calls attention to the first commandment. Anybody know the first commandment? Yes, thou shalt have no other gods before me. And he, uh, he talks about that in forbidding strange gods, God means that we should not transfer anything that belongs to Him to something else or someone else. And he gives four categories, adoration, trust, invocation, and thanksgiving. And here's what he's talking about, veneration or worship. Now, we don't bow down to any totem poles or anything like that in our culture. It's much more subtle than that. Trust, that's the rest we have in God that comes from recognition of his attributes. He is faithful. He is kind. He is good. He's going to provide Jehovah, Rophe, uh, all uh, Jehovah Jireh, excuse me. He's going to provide in all those other attributes and character characteristics of God. We're reminded of those and we trust Him. Invocation. That's just simply when we pray and ask God for something, recognizing that He can supply our need. And thanksgiving, that's the gratitude that we express when we give praise to Him. Maybe praise for who He is, Maybe thanksgiving for the things that He has done for us. 
So according to Calvin, if we're not thanking God for the things God has given us, we're breaking the first commandment. I mean, he's, he's got a lot of connections there with not only the negative of the command, but the positive of the command. So what do we receive from God? If you've got your Bible, look quickly at Psalm 103. Now put this on your Psalms to memorize list. You young people, you want to memorize Psalm 103. It is a good one. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless His holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all His benefits, who forgiveth all thine iniquities, who healeth all thy diseases, who redeemeth thy life from destruction, who crowneth thee with loving kindness and tender mercies, who satisfieth thy mouth with good things, so that thy youth is renewed like the eagles. And it goes on to some other good stuff there too. Well, what if I don't feel like an eagle? We're going to find out about that in just a minute. Let's, let's run through this. Uh, verse 4 puts it in proper perspective. Who redeems thy life from destruction. That's in the King James there. The basis of thanksgiving, I think, is I am redeemed. I'm not in hell right now. People are going to hell every day. Sometimes people that we've met, people that we know, they've just rejected God. They're on their way to hell. But you don't have to ever be in hell. Redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Do you remember that Fanny Crosby song there? Redeemed, how I love to proclaim it. Redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Redeemed and so happy in Jesus, His child, and forever I am. Now if I'm happy, I'm going to be thanking God for that happiness. I've got my family. I've got food on the table. I've even got a car to drive in. may not be that Corvette, but I'm getting there. Just think about it. Redemption. But what else? Well, we get spiritual mercies. We get physical mercies. Look in verse 3. I don't have to carry around a load of guilt because my iniquities are forgiven. Who forgives all my iniquities. Verse 4. Another one here on the spiritual side. I'm crowned with loving kindness and tender mercies. Even in this life, many times I don't get the things that I deserve because of God's mercy. Maybe His discipline in my life or something. And then we have physical mercies. Look in verse 3. Uh, what does it say? Who healeth all thy diseases. I've recovered from every sickness that I've had since I was a child. Have you? I mean, we have a few things hanging on maybe because that just comes in due time. That's getting us ready for the, for the new body and the new kingdom. But God has answered many prayers, many prayers. And one day, you will truly be healed. And someday after that, there will be a new body that fits in with a new heaven and a new earth. It's a good deal. We ought to be thanking God for that. And then verse 5, my mouth is satisfied with good things. Here's the problem with that, Ecclesiastes 6-7. All the labor of man is for his mouth, yet the appetite is not filled. When he says mouth, he's talking about appetite. That's where we usually think about our appetite. We can get everything in the world. You can have a dinner today that is the greatest feast you've ever seen in your life. Tomorrow you'll still be hungry again. That's just the way God has made us. So we have to uh, look to Him. Here's what Matthew Henry says. I'd say this is very important, especially for 
uh, young people and old people, whichever category you fit in there. It is only the favor and grace of God that can give satisfaction to a soul. I'm talking about ultimate satisfaction. Oh, you see the heathen all the time, man, they're having a ball. And, but then late at night, when they sober up, there's no satisfaction for the soul. Well, I'm getting off base here. It's only the favor and grace of God that can give to a satisfaction to a soul, can suit its capacities, supply its needs, and answer to its desires. Nothing but divine wisdom can undertake to fill its treasures. Other things will surfeit. That means cause to desire more, but not satiate. That means to satisfy. Is that not the truth? You wonder where Matthew Henry got all this stuff. He got it right out of the Bible. But he must have been thinking about it a good bit. That is a good one. The Bible says, Isaiah 55, Wherefore do you spend your money for that which is not bread, and your labor for that which satisfieth not? Hearken diligently unto me, and eat ye that which is good, and let your soul delight itself in fatness. Now, when your soul delights itself in fatness, that's different than your body delighting itself in fatness. That's, that's a good thing when your soul delights itself in fatness. That means fullness of satisfaction for your soul. Uh, just what he's talking about. Well, then verse uh, 5, my youth is renewed like the eagles. But I don't feel like an eagle, so I'm not thankful. Now, what's the deal on that? Guess what? The Bible never says feel thankful. It doesn't say that one time that I can find. It says be thankful. And you can be thankful when you don't feel thankful. In fact, that's the most important time to be thankful and to express thanksgiving to God because you want to act your way into feeling. And I can guarantee you if you're a thankful person, you're going to feel better down the line than if you're an unthankful person. I mean, an unthankful person just gets deeper and deeper into discontent, no matter what their circumstances may be. So we're talking about being thankful. With thanksgiving, I put the emphasis on God. I'm giving Him the thanks that I'm not in some hospital somewhere this morning. With thanksgiving, I'm taking the emphasis off of myself and what I may think I have done for myself. It took good health to be able to do it, whatever it was. And it puts the emphasis back on God where it belongs. So I become more God-centered and less self-centered. And that has got to be a good thing as a part of sanctification. Now, quickly as we wrap it up here, how can a child learn to be content? Because we want our children to grow up to be thankful children. How can a child find contentment to learn to be thankful? They can't just hear it in Sunday school. They have got to see it. And they have got to hear it as well in the home. Because that's where we typically spend most of our time growing up with parents in the home. Paul says, I have learned to be content in whatever state I find myself. Philippians 4, whether I'm abased, whether I'm abound, you know the verse. Paul, if Paul had to learn to be content, our children, grandchildren, have to learn to be content. And you can learn to be content. You probably learn it in the home if you learn it anywhere. There are a lot of distractions in life. There are a lot of people who can't stand to be at home. They've got to be somewhere because home is just not a, it's not a contented place. They're not very content at home. 
So then from whom will the child learn contentment and thanksgiving? Probably from the parents, probably from older brothers and sisters. I know this. If you have an older brother or sister who is really discontent, that can sow a lot of seeds of disintegration in younger brothers and sisters. So as good as everybody needs to be content in the home. We have a couple of specific ideas to run through here quickly as to how to accomplish this. We talk about this book all the time. You ought to get one for your library, The Rare Jewel of Christian Contentment. Jeremiah Burroughs, Puritan pastor, writing in uh, 16, ooh, 1648. That's a long time ago. It's a little bit King Jamesy, but you can wade through it. It's really good. So we're asking a question here. How can a Christian learn contentment? Now, sometimes the world beats us at learning contentment. But if we're Christians, we ought to really be able to strap it on. Well, a Christian, we'll run through these pretty quickly. A Christian must learn the difference between what he should be satisfied with and what he should be dissatisfied with. And sometimes we get those things mixed up because our culture has them mixed up. I'm satisfied with my portion in life. I'm dissatisfied with my sin and my character deficiency. Hebrews 13.5 Let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. A Christian may come to contentment by subtracting from his desires instead of adding to his possessions. Does that make any sense? I think we might have talked about that. If my desire is up here and my possession are down here. See, I'm thinking I'd be content if I can get this up here. But what if I brought this down to here and this was as well as I could do at the time? Hey, I'd be, I'd be at the right spot there. My possessions would equal my desires. Maybe it's down here. Maybe you are better able to provide. Maybe it's up here. But whatever it is, I want to see these things as something with which I can promote the kingdom of God. That's number two. Let's go for number three here. A Christian does not become content by getting rid of all his troubles. That's what I used to think. But by looking for God's purpose in the problem and cooperating with God by following His ways out of the trouble. Remember James 1, Count it all joy, my brothers, whenever you face problems of many kinds because we're going to learn something. We're going to get something out of that. A Christian seeks contentment not by changing his circumstances, I should say, that can't be changed, but by doing his duty as required by the circumstances. If you've got some difficult circumstances you can change, I would say change them. Change them as quick as you can. But if there are some circumstances that you can't change, look to see what God has for you there. Because He's up to something. And He's up to something good. A Christian gains contentment by learning to subordinate his own will and desire to God's will and desire as stated in the Bible. If a young person learns to be submissive to parents, that's going to help them when they grow up to be submissive to God. The opposite's true as well. Number six. Christian must learn that contentment does not result from getting all my want-tos in life, but from embracing my ought-tos from the heart. We're talking about learning to deal with desire. Desire may be good. I may desire a new job. That's a good thing. 
but I can't let that take control and dictate and dominate my life. Then number seven. A Christian must always remember that God is good and that He's good to me. That's where Satan is going to attack first. That God may be good, but He's not being good to me. Look at all this that I need. Oh, here I'm up here, the need that I don't have. And God's not doing anything. A contented Christian learns to see God's love in affliction. If there happens to be affliction. Christ was afflicted. We might well be too. Do you remember what happened to Daniel? He was a little boy. Enemy came in. Probably killed his dad. His older brothers. I don't know what all they did. They burned the temple. They burned Jerusalem. I know that. And Daniel was taken back to Babylon. And he was put in a little education program there. And he served under five different administrations of different kings in Babylon. Daniel was truly a great man. But God used adversity to prepare him for that. Number eight. Christian must learn that he cannot gain contentment by his own strength, but by the strength of someone else, the Holy Spirit. Paul in 2 Corinthians 12.9, My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Two more quickly. A Christian must be trained to find contentment in opening and pouring out his heart to God. That's just prayer. And then uh, number 10, a Christian must learn that a contented Christian is skilled in claiming the promises of God. We've got a lot of promises in Scripture. We've got to claim them. In closing, let me share with you what will rob a young person, older person, any person, of contentment and thanksgiving quicker than anything. We've talked about comparison, but it's the anti-Christian culture. The anti-Christian culture says you can't be content in life unless you have a certain image. And that image might come from the automobile that you drive. It might come from your tattoos. It might come from your dress or undress, whatever the case may be in the culture. It may come from your associations with people it can come from all kinds of things, but there's a certain composite image that you need and the advertising is just pound and pound and pound and then the problem is that image is continually changing. It's difficult to keep up with. The things that used to be cool are not cool anymore. And you've got to get into, what would I look like in that 55 Chevrolet truck running around here now the way it used to look? Well, the mix is changing, so we have to be sure that we are resolved that we're going to put God in first place and we're going to make a habit of being thankful to Him because we've got contentment in our heart. And i got my prayer list of things that I'm praying for, but I'm willing to meet God at the point of His provision. If He doesn't provide my Corvette, then I'll take my little Honda CRV that He's given me and I'll be grateful for that because He's blessed me with it. Always showing God that we mean business about gratitude of the heart and contentment. And what does the verse say? Giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's pray. Oh Lord, when we think about all You have done for us, especially redemption, salvation from our sin. We are so very grateful when we stop to think about it. 
eternal salvation. And Lord, we thank you that we live in America. We thank you that we live in Texas. We thank you, Lord, for the uh, relative conservative atmosphere. But we see that's deteriorating. We pray, Lord, that we might return not to conservative politics or something like that, but that might be good. But we've got to return to your word and we've got to return to truth. We can only do that if we have your power in our lives. I pray that anyone here this morning does not know Christ as Savior to be able to get in on that guarantee of never being in eternal condemnation. I pray that this might be the day. And Lord, we pray that we might be the most grateful people in this church in all of Texas. And we pray these things in Christ's name and for his sake. Amen.